Hey there, and welcome to Dirt Rich, seasonal conversations about food and farming. I'm Jared Lumen, the Soil Health Lead for the Sustainable Farming Association, and today we're going to kick off our three-part mini-series on farm succession planning. We're talking today with Farmer and Executive Director of the Southern Agriculture Center for Excellence, Megan Roberts. Megan, welcome to the Dirt Rich Podcast. Thank you so much for having me today. Yeah, yeah, I'm excited to uh, to learn from you. It's This is kind of a personal topic. It's also one that I think is going to be valuable to so many people, but my family is kind of going through a transition right now uh, of the farm and, and trying to figure that out. So it's, it's, uh, I'm really looking forward to talking to you and, and hearing uh, your perspective on this, but would you mind starting off by introducing yourself and maybe highlighting a little bit of the experience that you have in farm succession, both personally and professionally? Yeah, absolutely. So like you, this is a topic that I have dealt with both in my personal life, through my parents transitioning their farm to my brother and sister-in-law, and my husband being a part of a farm transition on the farm that we are now a part of as a couple. Uh, And then professionally, I've worked with farm transition and estate planning going back for about a decade. I started out as an agribusiness instructor at South Central College in North Mankato, and I taught a class on farm transition to college students. So it was really an introduction. Here are things that you might expect as you move back to the farm. You're still very young, but you may have questions about this. So that was something that I experienced very early in my career through that role. Then I moved into University of Minnesota Extension and really took a bigger role in farm transition state planning. I'm serving as a bit of a statewide point person for extension on the topic. And now in my new role, uh, which is also at South Central College in North Mankato, I get to serve uh, campuses across the Minnesota State College and University system. And one of those topics that I try to support instructors, whether it's those community college students or farm business management students, is around the area of farm transition estate planning. And we hear a lot about that both in my role in extension, me personally as a farmer, and then in my new role here as the uh, executive director, about how stressful, how challenging, how big of an issue farm transition and estate planning is for farmers. Yeah, no, it's so huge. I mean, we've all heard the stats of the what the average age of the farmer is, is 55, 57, 60, whatever it is now and constantly going up. And so there's this transition that's bound to happen. So it's definitely on a lot of people's minds. But before we even get into your your experience working with other people, I'd be curious if you'd be willing to share kind of digging into your own story and what the transition looked like with your family. What were some of the, the successes, maybe some of the struggles as much as you're willing and comfortable to share, but I'd love to hear that. Yeah. So what's kind of interesting for me, and I don't think it's atypical for individuals in agriculture, but I've had that experience of farm transition being the non-farm kid. So in my parents' situation, I'm the non-farm heir. I moved away. I chose a life that was different than coming back to the family farm. My brother and his wife, my sister-in-law, they made those sacrifices on that farm. And so when it came to that farm transition, I was a little bit more removed. I work with this topic. So there were times where, you know, my parents would ask me questions and want advice from their perspective as the older generation. My brother and sister-in-law would sometimes ask me questions and, and I had a similar viewpoint to them because I'm a beginning farmer too. And 
it was really a challenging situation, even though they all wanted very similar things in the end. Um, it wasn't a family farm transition situation where people were really, you know, angry with each other, which really does happen. I deal with that a lot in my job. That wasn't the situation. And yet it still was super challenging and it was super hard. Uh, and then in my husband's situation, again, he has this really great relationship with his dad. His mom isn't as involved in the farm. So we weren't uh, maybe talking through things quite as much with her, more so focused on his dad. And they have such a great relationship. They work together every day. Uh, it's a fair to finish hog farm. So not quite as complicated as my parents who had a dairy farm, but fair to finish. Anytime you've got livestock, it's hard because it's everyday work. There isn't that ability necessarily if you're that incoming generation to have an off-farm job. Maybe a spouse can have one. I have one off the farm. But when you have livestock and it's an everyday livestock sort of situation, it, it creates more challenges at times because the incoming generation really has to make that full-time commitment. And again, we had really big challenges. It was really hard, even when we were in a really amicable situation with my husband's parents. And in that situation, I was with the on-farm heir, the on-farm uh, returning child, but I was an in-law, you know? So um, all of those things are, are challenging. There's a lot of family dynamics on play, whether you are that in-law, whether you're not an in-law. Uh, and, you know, I've been... I really consider it an honor and just a real, a real bright spot in my career that families trust me to tell me their stories about being the in-law or being the farm kid who doesn't feel like they're getting as good of a deal as they should, or being the non-farm kid who's mad that they're not getting anything. And whenever I'm hearing those things, I can usually relate a little bit. Maybe it's not the same story that happened to me. But I do think that it's helpful, can be really helpful when people that are providing educational resources to farmers have lived through similar experiences. And I never know what someone's dealing with, but I can listen and I can empathize because there have been those challenges in my farm transition. Yeah. I mean, I'm surprised to hear Yeah, how in depth your actual personal experience with this goes i mean you have every side of it dealing with the you know, like you were talking about with your your own family that your your personal family and stuff being on the non-farming outside kind of farm air you got the in-law factor you obviously really know your, your husband and probably see the perspective of a you know a farm son dealing with the transition and that situation so you have a great wealth of experience but i'm curious on that first experience you mentioned with your personal family that's something that maybe doesn't get talked about as much with this conversation is how do you, how do you feel, or I guess, did your family prepare you for this conversation? Was it, would, was it open and discussed sort of how that might look for you as a non-farm heir with the farm transition, or were you kind of kept in the, you know, kept in the dark and they did everything themselves and, and how, how would you recommend maybe, I guess, uh, you know, other people look at dealing with uh, on-farm and off-farm heirs when that conversation is happening? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I wouldn't say that anything was in the dark because I do work with this topic. So there were times when my parents wanted to chat with someone that got it. And I, I kind of knew a bit about the topic area. 
Um, but I was certainly not involved in those conversations at the level that I was with my husband's family. I played a much more active role in that situation than I did in anything that my parents were doing. And I, I felt really strongly about that. I wanted them to make decisions, meaning my brother, my sister-in-law, my mom and dad, I wanted them to make decisions that were best for them. I, I really have, I care so much about that farm, but at the end of the day, I moved away. I moved to Southern Minnesota and they're, they're doing the hard work of dairy and farming every day. So something that I really appreciate and I definitely recommend to farm families, they included my sister-in-law in all meetings. And as they should have, she farms full time with them. I don't always see that with farm families. I see people where even if a, a spouse is there farming full time, or even if they're not, you know, if they're living in a house that is on the farm yard, if they're putting all of their equity on the line to get a farm loan or whatever it might be, even if they're not a part of the farm full time, I get really nervous when those individuals are completely excluded from conversations. When people make those bloodline decisions and say, if you're not our blood, we're not going to tell you anything. I personally get nervous by that. However, at the end of the day, I always tell families, you are an expert in your own family. I'm not an expert. I have educational background in this. I've worked with families, but no one knows you better than you know you. So I try not to be super prescriptive and tell people, yes, you must include XYZ or you must not include XYZ. I, I do try to be open to understanding where they're coming from. At the same time, always trying to err on the side of inclusion. I think um, giving people the ability to know what's happening, to have a safe place to share their feelings about what is ultimately a really big, sometimes sticky situation, um, something that involves a lot of assets, typically something that involves a lot of family memories, typically. I, I urge people to be inclusive in the meetings that they're having. It doesn't mean that everyone should have equal decision-making power though. Being able to listen and air your, your thoughts doesn't mean everyone should get to make the decisions. So again, my, my parents didn't, didn't include me as a decision maker in their farm transition, but I did get to get some communication about it. And that worked really well for our family. And I do encourage yeah. other families to think about including some communication, even in those members of the family that are not the decision makers. Well, I love that. I think that's really valuable. And and I, I'm curious how you create that inclusive environment and how you kind of uh, facilitate those discussions and including everybody. We had somebody work with us uh, who one kind of actually before we did any group meetings, separated us all out, did one-on-ones to try and get our perspectives in a part that where we weren't comfortable, maybe we wouldn't have been comfortable saying in front of our family and stuff. I'm curious, how do you, you know, go about when you work with farmers, creating an environment of a safe space, I think is the word you used or, or something when you're working with those farmers? Yeah, I think it varies from kind of situation to situation and facilitator to facilitator. I do think that 
the kind of process that you just outlined in a best case scenario, that can be super helpful. In my role in extension, I oftentimes had a pretty limited amount of time, maybe like 24 hours. We would do a Friday night to Saturday retreat where we bring families together. So there wasn't always that opportunity to do what you were just and talking about where there's that one-on-one. But when that can happen and you have a facilitator that's enabling that process, that can be so valuable. I think that you have to be intentional. Open communication doesn't just happen within families. I think in fact, families oftentimes kind of default to games of telephone, where if someone isn't there, then the siblings that were close will text each other and the siblings that aren't close won't text each other. And it kind of uh, ends up being second, third, fourth hand information. Uh, So for those family members that maybe aren't decision makers, maybe they aren't brought in until towards the end of the process. For those that are decision makers that are part of that farm, you know, making sure that at the very least, when there's group meetings where big decisions are happening, that that the key members are included, even if that key member happens to be someone that's an in-law, but is a key part of that farm, making sure everyone gets the invites. And I do love just to reiterate kind of that process that you indicate where there is that one-on-one and then bring... That's great uh, when when it's possible. Sometimes it isn't always possible, but I think it's a great thing to shoot for. Yeah, and and I guess I maybe even jumped the gun and getting right into this. But I, even before all of this conversation of when you start talking with farmers, how are you bringing people to the table? I mean, are farmers coming to you typically when you're working and saying we're ready to do this, or how are you working with farmers to get their mindset around this that they should have this conversation and they should be thinking about it, whether they're I don't know, you just took over the farm at 45 or they're 85 and still operating the whole business. I mean, how do you bring them to the table? It varies a lot. Uh, In my role in extension, we had kind of open workshops. We would advertise them with local county extension offices, with farm business management instructors, with um, sometimes it was local lending institutions, et cetera. And it was really an opportunity to just get that basic introductory information in a group setting about farm transition. It wasn't so much the one-on-one facilitation. My new role, I support farm business management instructors, and they do work one-on-one with farmers uh, as students. As students enrolled in the farm business management program, they're in the program for financial education, but it's hard to separate financial education right now, just with the age of many farmers, either they're beginning farmers who are looking to transition from their older generation or their older generation that are maybe getting closer to retirement. And so farm business management instructors are just sharing how much of a topic this is that they might be hearing from their students. So their students might identify to them, hey, I'm looking for some more information on this topic. Can you help me out with the financial side of this uh, and help me out with the the educational aspects of it in a one-on-one setting. So it's changed a little bit based on my role, um, but now uh, with supporting farm business management, um, just trying to make sure those educators have the resources that they need 
to be able to support their students through this process. That's awesome that there's those resources and people are kind of making aware of the importance of this conversation. Um, But I guess jumping back into your story then, your mindset, it sounds like with your family's transition, uh, your your personal families, not your in-laws, was very open to the whole conversation. It sounds like you didn't come to the table with expectations and there wasn't very much hassle, you know, troubles. That's not always the case. And maybe I'm wrong in saying that too, but uh, that's not always the case. And a lot of families, there's kind of some really tough conversations that happen between on-farm and off-farm heirs. How are you working through that and, and trying to maintain relationships as a priority and not losing, you know, not, not ending up with families broken because of this conversation? Yeah, I I don't know if my brother would agree with this. I think he would. I think my brother and sister-in-law would agree. I am a nice non-farm heir. I don't, I don't have any expectations. And maybe that is because I joined a different farm where I do consider, you know, my husband is um, an owner of our our Roberts Farm uh, Corporation. And when you see it firsthand, it changes the way you then treat others about it. And so I was just very conscious about supporting my brother. I hope he feels that way, supporting my brother through the process. And most of the time, when we're talking about farm things, it's kind of texting back and forth. I don't know if we're still considered beginning farmers. We might be aging out of that terminology <laughs> now as we reach our mid thirties, late thirties. But you know, we're we're both beginning farmers or middle aged mm-hmm. farmers. Oh, I'm not middle aged. Uh, there is a term out there, and I just can't <laughs> put my finger on it. But we text about those challenges, and that has made me very, very open to to not having any expectations about that farm. That farm exists because of the work that my dad and mom did and of the work my ancestors before them did. And now based on my brother and sister-in-law, that farm would not exist without them. And I totally understand that. And that is not, it's not always the feeling that siblings and children that move away from the farm have. We, in our educational materials, talk about it a lot. And that there might be, even if your children or your siblings have not articulated it, there may be challenges in the future you should maybe ask about it. You should communicate about it. You don't want anyone to be caught off guard when you're in the crisis. The thing about farm transition and estate planning is it includes the word planning. You don't want to be doing it after a death occurs. It happens. Sometimes we don't pre-plan. Sometimes we don't have enough time to plan. But, you know, if if the transition estate plan is happening after a funeral, people tend to do weird things when they're dealing with grief because it's really hard to deal with grief. And unfortunately, this topic intersects oftentimes with someone passing on. The state planning part certainly intersects with mortality. And so I just, I have personally heard way too many horror stories of a non-farm heir finding out, you know, at a funeral that everything goes to Bobby Sue 
or vice versa, the farm heir who thought one day all this would be hers finds out that wasn't the case. The paperwork didn't get signed or, you know, the verbal agreements didn't match the paperwork that did get signed. And that is so heartbreaking. And I, I just hope that as whatever organization is providing the educational resources, whether it's you know, the Minnesota State College and University System through our farm business management program, whether it's University of Minnesota Extension, nonprofits, we have such great ag organizations in the state of Minnesota that intersect with this topic as well. You know, I hope they're they're talking about this because it is a challenge. And I think with increasing land prices right now, that also exacerbates the problem. So large assets and grief kind of uh, make the situation even more complicated. So largely, I guess what I'm gathering from there is prep and, and plan ahead because that can avoid a lot of the, uh, make a lot of the questions answered before there's, you throw in that additional, you know, kind of challenge of the grief. So now that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And I, th- I like what you, you said too about, you know, possibly working into a new farm, making that easier for you. I, I find myself in that same position where my wife comes from a farm and we have our own family farm and it gives being a farm heir sort of on, even if it's your in-laws, you kind of have that understanding and you know appreciation for that inheriting a farm doesn't necessarily just it's not all about the numbers and stuff too so you can appreciate that what's happening with your your own family farm back at home and that transition to your siblings and stuff without maybe seeing it as just an asset and the dollar value that a lot of people might see but yeah i'm i'm curious with uh with this, we kind of talked a little bit about the people issues of this. I'm curious how you work with farms that maybe are in financial difficulties or they, they don't, they don't have like the, they're not thriving businesses where it's just like, how do we transition this farm over and who gets what it's, uh, this farm is struggling as it is. Uh, how do I even think about passing? Do I even want to pass this on to my heirs and pass them off all of the stress and the, you know, the, the challenges that this farm is bringing on? Uh, If you, I don't know if you've had experience with that, but I'd love to hear that. Yes, absolutely. I think that a farm transition is hard no matter what. And then every time you add an additional layer of stressor on top of it, obviously it gets harder. And certainly one of those stressors can be if a farm is already in financial straits, it's not doing well, and maybe they're not in the black and and we've got some real concerns there. You add a farm transition onto it and that just might not be viable. So that is one of the things that I think is really important about farm business management education, is important about uh, a lot of the different financial farm financial resources that we have in the state of Minnesota. I think there's resources out there if farms are wondering, do, do I have the financial wherewithal to pass this on to another generation? You know, figure that out soon. And maybe there's different enterprises that uh, could be added if a new generation is coming in, are they able to generate more income because they're providing more labor or they're doing value add? But if a farm transition or a farm income statement, a farm cash flow doesn't work on paper, it's not going to work in real life. 
you can try and wish and hope so hard for something to work out. And if you can't make it work on paper, adding a farm transition into the mix, adding another generation into the mix, it's probably not going to go better. And it's such a hard decision. I want, I want every farm that wants to transition to the next generation to be able to do that. I truly do from the bottom of my heart. And sometimes it is impossible. Sometimes hard decisions do have to be made. And sometimes that means I'm transitioning to exit planning. So maybe I hate, I even hate saying the word because I just want so, so much for farms to be able to transition, but maybe it means you're selling the cows, but you're going to be able to keep the farmland and keep crop farming. Um, maybe it means moving from fair to finish to finishing hogs. Uh, maybe it means keeping your best, most favorite breeding animals. I'm using a lot of livestock examples because I do feel like some of our more challenging farm financial situations are with livestock operations, but maybe it means keeping those few favorite animals around and uh, renting out land uh, until that next generation maybe has more finances to come back in. Uh, so if it's not financially viable to be a full farm transition, sometimes that just means that we need to rethink what that transition, what success looks like. Can success mean a compromise in between where we still get to keep the, that family heritage? Or maybe we're passing it to a new family, um, finding a way to, to bring in new and diverse agricultural producers. I think there's other opportunities for success when there are financial liability concerns, but it's hard and it means that there's going to be some hard conversations. Yeah. Well, that's, that's a good point. I'm, I know it's probably not fun to say those things, probably never fun in, in person with a real farm to have to look at some of these challenging situations. But I remember back to the class, I think that I kind of I was online, but you kind of organized a class a few months back that I attended, and they kind of gave us some scenarios where some of the answers that we kind of were forced as small groups to come up with here, didn't maybe look for you know, they didn't really accomplish the goals that the people had in mind of you know what they would have liked to see happen and the the reality might be a little bit different but being willing to have those conversations is going to be important if you avoid them you're not doing anybody any favors i would imagine no i think it goes back to the communication aspect whether it's communication that's hard because we have family dynamic issues whether it's communications that's hard because people don't want to truly state what their goals are, or whether it's because the finances are tough, it comes down to, are you willing to have open and honest communication about what is really going on with your farm transition? And when you get over that, that hurdle, things typically start to go better. And some families never get over that hurdle. They just, they can't openly communicate about what's going on. So looking at a farm that's maybe a little bit better off and has some, you know, assets and things and they want to transition the farm onto a farm heir, how do you see farms creatively also give some help to maybe their off-farm heirs, whatever that may look like? So that, you know, it's maybe not fair is not always equal and equal is not always fair, but it's somewhat uh, equitable and that those off-farm heirs are receiving something. Have you seen some creative ways of farm transitions that, that can consider those off-farm heirs? 
There are a lot of different strategies that families use, and it varies from situation to situation. It varies depending on their finances. It can also vary depending on the family situation. You know, maybe someone is coming back every harvest to help. And so there, there's the person that there is there year round versus the person that's there six weeks out of the year versus the person that um, moved to Los Angeles or New York City or whatever it might be. Uh, so it does vary a lot, but I've seen situations where siblings continue to own the farmland together. Uh, maybe it's in a trust, maybe it's in some sort of business entity like a limited liability company or something of that nature. And then that that has some sort of lease agreement back to the main operating farm. So the, the farming kid, so to speak, who might be in their 40s or 50s, no longer a kid, but the farming heir, the farming kid has that ability to access the assets that they need, the farmland. Um, but maybe the, the remaining siblings are, are still earning some income off of it through rental payments. Um, I've seen life insurance policies where non-farm kids maybe get a certain amount of money and farm assets go towards those that are still remaining on the farm. I've seen like non-voting shares as a part of some sort of business entity or partnership. I've seen um, like options to buy that are at a lower than market value price for the farming kid. So they're buying out siblings, but it's been pre-established that it's maybe a little bit of a sweetheart deal so that they're not paying full market price. And then sometimes it's just, you know, let's say there's three kids and it's one third, one third, one third, and that's what it is. Does that work out? Not always, but, you know, any anything with enough pre-planning and enough financial viability has has the chance of working out. Yeah. Well, that's a good point. And that's where even with my father and, and my wife, and when we talk about this and stuff, ultimately, even as the on-farm heir, I don't expect anything. I just want to know what my dad's plans are. And, and for this kind of communication thing is as, as important for the farming era as it is for the on-farm era, just so that we can plan accordingly too. I mean, if we if if we know we're going to be forced to do sort of a fair value buyout of the farm, how we manage our own finances might look very different than if we know we're going to, you know, inherit and, and we can focus more on growth or something. So that that communication, like you say, is, is a good point. And with time and pre-planning and communication, you can you can make things work. It just might look differently based on the, the route you choose to go. Yes, absolutely. Though it's hard for me because I am from the younger I'm younger generation. Um, sometimes it's hard for me to fully put my my feet in the shoes of you know an older generation who who I haven't had the same life experiences. They haven't had the same life experiences as, as me either, but I sometimes do try really hard to understand that perspective. And I, I do want to recognize that I know it is hard to talk about these things. I know that it's emotional uh, and maybe not everyone wants to talk about their emotions. I know that for some in the older generation, they might be in their fifties, sixties, 
heck, maybe even 70s, and they just became the owners of the farm because their parents had just passed on. And so this is really challenging. And I do try to remind those that are entering into the farm that we need to be respectful. We need to not push the topic beyond what is respectful. Yes, you do need to bring it up. Yes, it matters to you. Um, but it has to be, the communication has to be a two-way street. And I, I do try to think of the feelings that those, that parent generation or that grandparent generation is having and why it is sometimes really tough for them to articulate what they want to have happen and to share this really deep personal financial information with their heirs. That's, that's a great point too. And, and kind of thinking on that, that senior generation, something that, you know, I've heard from a couple of different situations is, you know, their own concern for their personal security the rest of their life. If, you know, my dad brings up situations he's heard of in the community where they sell out the farm at 75 years old and, and they burn through the money because they live to 98, you know, and, you know, how, when you, when you are working with this, obviously the transition and, you know, there's, there's lots of things to consider with the actual transition of the farm and the assets, but how do you consider maintaining security for that senior generation in a lot of these situations to make sure that they're going to be able to live the life they've worked their whole life to earn kind of too, because that should be definitely considered. That needs to be an essential part of the financial viability piece. So it's not just looking at, can the farm operation be financially viable? You also need to look at whatever, however many families there are. Maybe there's multiple uh, folks in the exiting generation. Uh, maybe there's multiple families in the incoming generation, but let's just say it's a mom and a dad and a, a daughter and a son-in-law. We have to do financial viability in addition to the farm for both of those sets. You need to project out, in some cases, past life expectancy. So when I think about senior generation, does their family have a, a history of living longer than expected? Well, then maybe we need to push projections out into late 90s, maybe beyond that. Do we think that there might be nursing home concerns? Um, how is that covered? Have they purchased long-term care insurance or not? That's a really costly premium. So a lot of families don't have that. Those types of things are part of the financial viability. And, you know, in the farming, we don't have a lot of retirement accounts. We have a lot of land purchases. Typically, there's so, some social security income that's projected, hopefully for both spouses. But sometimes one of the spouses gets mixed because it was only recognizing income on one individual's tax return, not on both. Um, so there's lots of challenges that we had in farming. Although I also like to remind people, even outside of ag, the U.S. in general is really bad about saving for retirement. And so non-ag people have these problems too, but we certainly do have challenges without, with having a lot of folks that don't have retirement accounts um, and just having to do a lot of unknown projections. We don't know where rental rates are going to go. That's a lot of people's income. Part of their income in retirement is renting out their land. Maybe it's renting out their land to their own children, but that is part of the process. And, well, it's hard to do all of those calculations because 
if you're in your 60s, you might be trying to make guesses out 30 years into the future. And we don't have that information always. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's true. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's exciting. And it's uh, maybe you talk about the, the whole population as a whole, it, it has this issue with retirement planning, I guess, maybe we can consider ourselves fortunate that most of us in agriculture own assets that, you know, so worst case scenario, there's, there is some asset base there for a lot of farmers, hopefully, but uh, that puts us maybe in a little better position than the population as a whole, but definitely something that needs to be considered. Yeah. Let me use this as a pitch. If anyone who is an incoming younger generation, if you are not thinking about your future savings, a lot of times we're just thinking about how can we buy into the farm or, you know, what's, what's it going to look like in terms of our farm asset ownership? Is there that ability, if we have an off-farm job to be contributing to a retirement account, or uh, if we are farming, we have options as self-employed individuals. There are various types of retirement accounts that are designed for self-employed individuals. And that ability to stock away a little bit of money now can really appreciate over time. That time value of money will hopefully result in those savings appreciating a lot and generally tax-free if it's a retirement account. And that means you have set your next generation up for easier success because you have created your own savings that are not tied to the farm. So if you have kids in the future, if you want to transition to that next generation, you might not have to rely on the farm as much for your retirement. You might have those other assets. It's hard as a beginning farmer too, because or it's like, gosh, I got to buy into a farm and to set aside money that could be invested into, you know, my farming career right now and put it at to maybe some thirty year down the road thing. But you're right. I mean, we should be thinking in the long term for our next generation. I mean, the challenges that we're facing with our, you know, potentially parents now. How can we set ourselves up to not have to face those when we we look at the transition to hopefully our own next generation? And it's a balance, of course. Sometimes that return on investment is going to be a lot greater in a farm, in a farm asset than the the long term retirement savings. So it's a balance of that. Um, but I do think that is something that really good farm business management education can help folks kind of figure out what those balances are. Think about not only their farm enterprises, but then personal spending as well. So when I put together an outline. I don't usually get too many specific questions, but I put together an outline. At first, I, I uh, had thought we would go through your story a little more in depth, but I love how this has blended together your experience with your own transition and, and then your experience working with other farmers. But I would love, if possible here, kind of as we start to wrap up this conversation, if we could go back to kind of your transition a little bit and hear how that is going, how it's gone, where you're at, kind of with the transition into your in-laws farm and um, a few more of the maybe personal experience that you went through there that you would think would be vital or important for other people to hear. So our farm transition is still evolving. We're still in process. We're now going on 12 years post-college, my husband and I. So we've been back here for, for a number of years since 2010 and my husband's been working full-time on the farm immediately after graduation he even maintained 
nearly full-time work while being in college two hours away. So his commitment to the farm has been very strong from the get-go. It was always really clear that he he was going to be a part of the farm in some fashion and hopefully at some point as an owner, as a co-manager. And so as the years have passed, he's moved from being an employee to um, being a co-owner. We've had to buy in uh, to the farming operation. We've had sweat equity uh, that has been a part of that. We've had actual money that we have put up to be a part of the farming operation. In our situation, my father-in-law is in his late 60s, but he's still a part of the farm every single day. Uh, He still maintains being an owner of the farm, and that's fantastic. In fact, we do not know what we will do when he is not farming because I think he provides the labor of two or three people. (laughs) He, He works seven days a week. 365 days a year, as does essentially my husband. You know, we were looking back and in December, and it was the pandemic, but in December, we looked back and realized my husband had not left the farm for a full day since very early 2020. Wow. You know, he had been there literally every single day. We went to the state for for part of a day, but he he was, uh, and when I say the farm, it's kind of funny. It's a terminology we use in our family. Our, we live on the farm, but it's not where the hog barns are. We're, we're next door. And so we call the farm the place where we have our main bin site and our main, we're always at the farm all the time because we live. We live here and there's a farm field that surrounds us and a bin outside my door, but our main farm site is where all of our animals are. And we, we realized that he just literally never had a full 24 hours away from checking a barn, checking a bin, checking in on employees, that sort of thing. So in terms of kind of like the nuts and bolts of our, our farm transition, I, I already did share a little bit that, you know, we've, we found different ways to get our, our foot into the door in terms of my husband either buying shares or being gifted shares in exchange for sweat equity. But, you know, something that I learned through that process is that there is never enough communication, even when you've got this working relationship that's super strong between my father-in-law and my husband. And then there's also that challenge of me being a daughter-in-law, when is my communication too much? <laughs> you know, am I talking <laughs> too much and stepping out of line? Or do I need to scale it back and let my husband take the lead in this situation? He is the full-time person on the farm. I do have an off-farm job. I do have partial ownership of some things, not to the level my husband does, but we have made that conscious choice as a couple that it can't be all one-sided, but it's been challenging. And I I literally focus on this topic as part, one part of my job, but nonetheless, a part of my job. And it was still really, really hard and challenging for us. 
Yeah. No, and I appreciate you sharing that, that, you know, it's, it's a challenge for everybody, but it's, it sounds like you're working in the right direction and I'm excited for you guys that you have found that. And I appreciate the, the, the story that you shared and the information you shared today. Are there any kind of last minute thoughts you'd want to share with our listener and maybe any resources that you would point people to that you, you haven't mentioned yet? So the University of Minnesota Extension has a lot of resources on their website they offer annual group-based workshops, the Minnesota State College and University Systems Farm Business Management Program focuses on farm financial education in a one-on-one setting with students who are farming. Uh, and through that program, uh, we have partnered in Minnesota State with Extension to offer uh, retreats in the past for farm families to come together and discuss things as multiple generations. Uh, we hope to continue to offer those in the future. We just concluded our ones for 2022. And I hear the banging in the background, but hopefully I finished that that's, sentence that's okay. before the, the loudness yeah. came. Well, it's great. It's fitting as we have a conversation about secession planning that we hear your kids in the background because that's that's what yes. this is all about, right? Is, is carrying a business yes. through the generations. So I love it. It makes it all the more real. <laughs> Good. Awesome. Thank Good. you well, so much. Well, thank you so much. Dirt Rich is produced by the Sustainable Farming Association. We believe that agriculture, done well, heals. For more resources or to tap into the Farmer to Farmer Network, visit us at sfa-mn.org.